Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. Well, I am Melissa Blackwood, and I am very excited to talk this morning. Um, I am So right now we're doing a series called Hello, My Name Is. And so we're talking about all the B-listers, the blisters, you like that, um, in the Bible. So we're not talking about Noah or Abraham or, or Peter or Paul. We're talking about, like, the people we don't hear about as much. And today I want to talk about Nicodemus. Yeah, put that in your baby names for, in your list. Nicodemus. Um, so I want to look at the story between or the encounter of Nicodemus and Jesus. And Nicodemus is mentioned in the Bible in the New Testament three times in John 3, 7, and 19. And so we are going to read about his encounter in John 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Oh, goodness, indeed. <laughs> it's concerning. This is concerning scripture. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This is the word of the Lord. God, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you reveal things to us. So God, we just, we come to you right now. Father, we humble ourselves. God, maybe however we've seen this scripture or how we heard it, God, would you just move past our own um, preconceived notions? And Lord, would you speak to us the truth? Open our hearts to who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is fun, right? This is interesting, isn't it? Well, I'm going to throw my message, refer to Nicodemus, maybe as Nico. Maybe his old Nico, you know, so I'm talking about the same person, so don't be confused, okay? Um, but I think there are three things that we can learn from this text. Who is the Pharisee, Jesus' approach to the Pharisee, and what it means to be born again? Okay, so my first point is, who is the Pharisee? So this is, you know, we need some background story, you know, to understand what's really happening. So, in the time of Jesus, there were three chief Jewish, Jewish sects. The Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Pharisees, okay? 
Of the three, the Pharisees were the most separated from the ways of the foreign influences and from how the common Jewish people lived. Okay, they were the most set apart. And their aim was to preserve national integrity. And they strictly followed the Mosaic law. So the Mosaic law is what we find. We find that in the first five books of the Old Testament, which they called the Torah. So this is very impressive because there are 613 commands in the Mosaic law. So these people were following or trying to follow and, and encouraging everybody else to follow 613 commands. These commands, you guys, went from, like, how to wash your hands to sex stuff to harvest. You're like, it's everything. They've got it all covered, okay? Um, and the Pharisees, they are the ones who are withholding this. this is, they are impressive people, okay? Um, and so... They were some of the most honored people in Judaism at the time. They had incredible influence over the people. So, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. So therefore we know he is old. He's a man. He's rich. He's influential. He's honored. He's good. He's learned. This is like, you guys, this is like the cultural elite. He's like the PhD. This is like the Ivy Leagues, you know, the four-car garage. This guy's like smoking a pipe in a room and talking, you know, whatever they talk about, you know? This is the top. He is the cream of the crop, this guy. And this is another important thing to know about the Pharisees in Jesus' time. They are mentioned a lot in the New Testament. However... Many of their encounters with Jesus weren't great. You know, we see a lot of the righteous anger of Jesus coming out in his interactions with the Pharisees. You know, that's when we see Jesus flipping tables. That's when we see him saying, you brood of vipers. Like he's calling them whitewashed tombs, you know. It's a, it's a weird relationship. The Pharisees also didn't like Jesus, and they felt that he was opposing them. They felt like he was taking people from Judaism. They were, he was turning people from them. They didn't like what he had to say, clearly, you know. Um, and they didn't believe he was the son of God. And they were the ones who crucified Jesus in the end. So there's a bit of conflict between these two parties. Mm -hmm. And so here we find old Nico, the Pharisee, coming at night to meet with Jesus privately. Two opposing parties... Jesus, son of God, meeting with Nicodemus, a Pharisee. So why? Why is Nicodemus coming to Jesus? There are different takes on what people think. You know, some scholars think Nicodemus is a spiritually seeking person. They think, you know, he doesn't want his Pharisee buddies to, you know, see him with Jesus. So he's like sneaking around. He's like, hey, I got to meet with Jesus, but not in front of others. Some say that Nicodemus is actually coming to do some backroom politics with Jesus. So some think, you know, because Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he doesn't say, Nicodemus doesn't say, I know you've come from God. Nicodemus says, we know you've come from God. Therefore, meaning maybe he's coming on behalf of the Pharisees. And he's like, he doesn't want the, you know, the Jewish people to see the Pharisees encounter with Jesus. So, you know, he's coming at night and he's like, all right, Jesus, let's play ball, you know. You know, you've got a following. Let's work together. You scratch our back, we scratch yours. You know? A lot of Godfather vibes, you know? And so based on their conversation, I can see both sides. But why I think this encounter is important for us to note is because most of the interactions that we see Jesus with people, we think of 
those interactions where Jesus is meeting with the sick or Jesus is meeting with, you know, the dead or the spiritually seeking or the emotionally broken people. That's kind of what we think of. And those are the stories we hear of these amazing miracles that Jesus is doing, right? Those are the stories that usually come to my mind when I think of Jesus and his encounters with people. However, this encounter with Nicodemus the Pharisee is very unique because Nicodemus is not sick. He is not dead. He is not emotionally broken. He's potentially not even spiritually seeking. And I realized I need to learn from this story because I think I'm a lot like Nicodemus. Like obviously minus the old, rich, powerful, smart man part. (laughs) Right? But... For me, I I grew up in a home where God was not talked about. Like, I had no real concept or idea of what God was or could be. Um, But when I started coming to church as a teenager, I loved it. You know, I could tell. I was like, oh, the people are different. The environment, yeah, I like this. You know, now knowing that was the spirit of God, you know, that I was encountering. But my main hang-up was being called a sinner, Right? I liked all the cool parts about like God being good, God showing me grace, God doing cool things for me, God loves me no matter what. You know, I was like, yeah, I can get down with that. But the sinner part, I was like, "Mm, I don't know. My mom and dad told me I'm a good girl. You know? I don't know about you, but mommy and daddy, they're like, you're such a good girl, Melissa. You're so good. You know? So you think in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm not a sinner. I mean well. I mostly do what is right, right, loosely, but a sinner, how dare they call me a sinner? But why this story is relatable is because, similarly to Nicodemus, I did not come to God emotionally broken, I didn't come to God sick or in any real need that I knew of, and just like Nicodemus, I had a hard time being told No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. So ultimately what Jesus is saying, he's saying, Nicodemus, despite all your efforts of goodness and your success, it's not enough. You are a sinner who needs to be saved by God's grace. You can only enter the kingdom through me. Right? I don't know about you, but when you have the Lord whisper things to you, he gently whispered it, but, but I remember at a certain point in my faith walk, you know when you're reading about the Pharisees, you're like, oh, the Pharisees are so dumb. Don't they get it? You know? You have those moments when you're reading, you're like, oh, they just should know. God was like, you are a Pharisee, Melissa. You are a Pharisee. He said it in love. Broke my heart. You know? But it's a hard, humble pill to take. But it actually is, like, we have to come to grips with this in order to understand and be a Christian. And this is what all religions, literally all religions except Christianity, they teach us that you can, based on what you do, you can get to God or you can get to enlightenment based on what you do. Christianity, not about that at all. Christianity is about what Christ has done. And so here we have Nicodemus, a Pharisee, somebody who is at the top, somebody who's successful, powerful, intelligent. This man cannot enter the kingdom of God by his own merit. Surely I cannot. I don't know about you. Maybe I'll loop you into that with me, though. So surely maybe we cannot enter. So what is Jesus telling Nicodemus? So my second point is Jesus' approach to the Pharisee. I don't know about you. 
I have this love-hate thing with Jesus, mostly love, but he rarely does what I think he should do, you know? Or he rarely says what I think he should say. Or when I set out parameters, I'm like, okay, we're going to work in this box and you're going to just like, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna work in that, right? He's like, no. It's annoying. It's annoying, right? But he always does better than I expect. He always does what is best. And he always speaks the way I need to hear. And, I, and throughout scripture, we are reminded, God knows our hearts best. Even if you don't know him, he knows you. Better than you know yourself, sorry to tell you. He knows our thoughts. He knows our every movement. He knows. And he cares about our character growth. Even more than we do. So knowing this, when I know this, it makes sense that he approaches us all differently. He approaches us the way we need rather than what we want. And I don't know if we have parents in the room, aunts and uncles, you're around children. Okay, what I've learned, so I have three children, uh, six, four, and almost two. And what I have learned is each child is very different. Okay, so, you know, what I've learned is that the same tactics don't work for each child. Right, like, so my, okay, so kind of like, because I'm going through the toddler years. So, you know, you say, don't touch that a lot, you know. Uh, so what I do is I say, you know, you words first. You're like, no, honey, don't touch. You know, say that a couple times. And then you, like, start, and then you grab the hand. You're like, no, don't touch. Oh, no, don't touch, right? But then, when they still don't listen, you'll flick their hand, you know. <laughs> and what I've learned, my eldest daughter, she, like, she... I could say, Zara, no. And she's like, all right, mom, I get it. We're not going to go there. You know, she, I, could, I could stop at the no. My son, Ronan, my baby, I go, I, we get to the point of the flicking of the hand. You know, I flick his hand, and he's like, ha, he runs around. He's like, we're playing a game. And he comes back and touches it again. He's like, yeah, do that thing. What is wrong with you, weird child? But, you know, we all, each child is unique. We teach them differently. We speak to them differently. We discipline them differently. And with that being said, Jesus does the same with us. Right? And you hear, oh, man, you hear of these first-time encounters that some people have with God. And they're like, you know, addiction that they've struggled with for years is gone. You know? Or they're like healed. And it's like a miraculous, like a limb has grown. And you're like, that's amazing, right? You hear of these people and their moments with God. Man, fantastic, happy for you. But then, there are others of us where it is a slow crock pot process, you know? Where it just like takes a long time to find freedom from struggles, you know? Or it's just like, it takes a long time to hear God's voice. I'm with you, you guys. I practice. I'm like, Lord, I really want to hear it. I just, you know, it takes a long time. Um, and I want that amazing. I want that, like, emotional, like, whoa, amazing experience with God. But sometimes he comes to us with a hard question that needs to be put in the crock pot over days, weeks, months, years, you know, before we get an answer or we understand. 
And I believe that's what happened with Nicodemus. Jesus' approach with Nicodemus is a crock-pot process. He stumped him. He's like, you got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? But we see how differently Jesus approaches this Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. Just in the next chapter, in John chapter 4, it is one, this is crazy. This is one of the longest conversations recorded between the Messiah and another person in the Gospel of John. And it is with an unnamed woman living in sin. She is a social outcast. And Jesus seeks her out. He asks her questions. He is gentle and kind with her. And he reveals himself to her as the Messiah. And her life is completely changed. She drops her water thing, whatever they get water with, and, you know, runs back to the town to tell everybody about Jesus. It's like an instant. With Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus with a statement. Jesus seems to kind of go off topic. Doesn't really look like a conversation. Nicodemus asks three questions. Jesus doesn't really let him get a word in. Has a monologue. And then we don't hear from Nicodemus. Right? Jesus doesn't tell the Samaritan woman she needs to be born again. And tell Nicodemus he is the Messiah and the living water. Because he knows our hearts. He knows what we need. His approach to each of us will be different. And I'm a crockpot Christian. Man, through the struggling, the questioning, the studying, you know, disobedience and disobedience and disobedience until there is obedience, you know. And so we, you know, you might be here and you want that Samaritan woman experience, but God's given you the hard answer. He's like, sit on this. Think. And I think that's what he's saying to Nicodemus. He's saying, listen. Listen to what I am saying. Think about what I am saying. Take time. Wrestle with it. And so I encourage us today. I mean, if you are, there is going to come a time where you're frustrated with God. Just telling you now. Or you're going to have that moment where you're like, why aren't you answering me? Man, don't give up. He is the living water. He is the Messiah. Sit in it. Think. Like, think. Read the Gospels. Ask God to open your eyes. What's exciting, though, is that I do believe that Nicodemus had a change. Because we see in chapter 7 and 19, I'll get to those, I think he actually finally understood. So what does it mean to be born again? Okay. Somebody approaches you in the street, and they tell you they're a born-again Christian. What do you do? <laughs> like, no. I love Jesus, and I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> ah, bless, bless. You know, or you hear people in a conversation, you know, where they're like, oh, yeah, she doesn't smoke. She doesn't drink. She doesn't sleep around. She's a born-again Christian. And everybody's like, oh, yeah. Met one of those, right? We might have a picture or a stereotype of what a born-again Christian is. You know, we, we sometimes tend to think either a born-again Christian is this intense, passionate, emotional, maybe a little pushy kind of person. Or maybe they're just like these broken people who they just really need faith-based stuff. You know, they really need that crutch in their life. Or we think born-again people are, you know, they're people who just really need black and white answers. They really need moral security. 
We might have these pictures of what a born-again Christian is. But Jesus gives the call to be born again to Nicodemus. Jesus comes to the dude with the Ph.D., the guy with the four-car garage, the influential teacher, the content, intelligent, not emotionally broken person, and says, you need to be born again. This would contradict what a lot of us might think or expect a born-again person to be. So being born again cannot be just for the spiritually seeking or the broken or the sick. Nicodemus isn't any of these. It's not just for these emotional, passionate, spiritual, feely people. Nicodemus is a traditional, reserved old man. It can't be about adding more moral structure to our lives. The Pharisees had hundreds of rules. Nicodemus had great moral structure. And it can't be from anything that we do because Nicodemus would be the first in line for the new birth if that was the case. He is the most put together and deserving, we would think. But Jesus is coming to a good person, a moral person, a put-together person, and he says, this is, actually, no, he doesn't say this. Jesus does not say to Nicodemus, Nico, you've done a great job. I'm really proud of you. You've come a long way. Now, I'll take the rest of the way from here. He does not. He says, scrap everything you've done. Nothing you've done counts towards the kingdom of heaven. You are not any further ahead than anybody else. Christianity is not an addition to what you have done. You have to start back at ground zero. And this is why oftentimes we find emotionally broken or, or people who have hit rock bottom, when, like the Samaritan woman, they rejoice and receive the message of Christ with tears and joy. And oftentimes we find it's really difficult for the good, upstanding Pharisees to receive the message of Jesus. So Jesus says, he says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So being born again, and this is obvious, I'm going to state the obvious here, but it cannot be a literal re-entry into the womb for a second exit. Clearly not possible for Nicodemus. Brother's old, mama's probably not around, you know? But the thing about being born, you don't just get born. You don't, I wasn't like, you know what, October 19th, 88, yep, sounds like a good time to spread my wings and fly. You know, it is, it is, it's not something you choose, it happens to you. The baby doesn't do anything. It's all the mother. Through the mother's labor, the mother's pain, the mother bearing the weight and the aches all those long months, you can't make yourself a Christian. You can't make yourself born again. And we have to realize that Jesus is the mother in this metaphor. It is through his blood, his sweat, his tears. It is through his labors. It's through his life his death and the resurrection, he has done all the work for us. He has actually brought a new life for us. He has brought that forward. And it's only through believing that that we are born again. And I mean, all my mamas who have experienced birth, you know, 
But all, you know that through all the months of pain and suffering, like, and some of you guys are doing this like 10 times, you nuts. I just, I did it three and I feel a little foolish, but. But you know, when the baby comes out, oh man, that is the best feeling. You know, you see that new life and you're like, it's worth it. It's incredible. It is such a miracle. And just as Christ is the one, he dies in his labor. He loses the Father's love so that we can have it. And even though he dies, when he sees us born, he's like, that was worth it. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, man. And it's a humbling moment we all have to come to. I can't make myself born. I can't earn God's favor. I can't make my way into heaven. I can't earn God's forgiveness. I have to realize I'm a sinner. And it's amazing because it's when we see what he's done, when we actually like sit and think about what he has done, that changes you. And that's when new life comes. And so in Romans 10, 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's so silly that that's it. But that's it. There's a change that happens. Born again, there is just something, a change that happens when we believe. The Spirit of God comes and makes his home in us. It's not this weird, like, out-of-body experience. It's a transformation that takes place. And I think a really cool story... um, is an example from St. Augustine in his writings, Confessions. And St. Augustine, before he knew Jesus, he was a, oh, he liked the ladies, you know. He, he really was a scallywag. If you understand what I'm saying, without saying it, um, but he liked the ladies, okay. And when, when Augustine encountered Christ, he, you know, after a while, he encountered one of his ex-lovers. And, you know, they had a conversation, and then they parted ways. And this lady was very confused. She's like, that's not usually what happened with old Augustine, you know. So she, like, called out to him, and she said, Augustine, do you not recognize me? It is I. And Augustine turned around, and he said, my dear, I do recognize you, but it is not I. You know, and I think that... At a certain point, God will give you his spirit and he plants in you. It takes a new root. Like you have new motivations. You have new desires. You have this new life is planted in you. You're like, why do I like this? Or why don't I like that? You are born again. And it took Nicodemus a long time to have this realization compared to the Samaritan woman. But he does have a transformation because it's after he sees Jesus lifted up on the cross. We find him in chapter 19. Nicodemus comes alongside Joseph of Arimathea, and they were granted the permission to take the body of Jesus to give him a proper burial. And now in this time, this was woman's work to prepare and take care of dead bodies. But these two old rich men handled the body of Christ. They washed his body. They put oils upon it and burial cloths upon Christ's body. Something changed in that old man's heart. This man who probably beforehand wouldn't have done such a thing, but he was humbled. He had a new life in him because he listened 
He struggled with the idea of being born again, but when he saw Christ lifted upon the cross, it hit him. And he was changed. And so I believe, you know, that Jesus, he comes to all of us differently. He will speak to each of us differently. We will, we will rejoice with stories of amazing miracles happening in people's lives. But we will also struggle with one another and encourage each other when it's the crock pot process. But God calls us to listen to his words, to read his word, and to think. And I want to encourage you, man, I just feel like some of us, you know, I, I was a skeptic at one point, but if Jesus is who he says he is, what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? Like, if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't believe, you're like, ah, whatever, this is old. Like, sit in it. Just read it. I just, I give you that. And I say, just go home and sit in it and read the word. I have a friend who, I mean, she was not a believer at all. And she, her husband gave her a Bible. She read the word and was saved. The word changes things in us. I want you to stand with me. I want us to, you know, we're going to pray. Actually, I want to give an encouragement to all of those who are born again. All of my sisters and brothers who you say, you know, I, I do believe that Jesus died and rose again and I have received his spirit. I want to encourage us because it can be difficult oftentimes. But in Ephesians 4.22, it says, put off, throw off your old self, your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is being corrupted by your deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Instead, let the spirit renew, put on your new self, put on your new nature, which is created to be like God in full righteousness and holiness. Brothers and sisters, if you feel defeated, please know you have the, you have the spirit of God living in you, but it is a daily thing that we need to stand in the word of God and we need to put that new self on. Our old self, it will cling on to you. Holy moly, it will like claw on. It does not want to let you go. And you have to stand firmly and say that is no longer my life and so I just want to right now we're going to pray for those sisters and brothers God we thank you father for your spirit God I thank you Lord for those oh man for for people here who have just been struggling they just feel like it has been a battle it has been a non-stop that that old way of life has like literally been clinging on in Jesus name we just declare God that those claws would be released God we pray against any bondage any chains that are attached from the old life in the name of Jesus God we recognize you have bought us our new life God you have freed us from the ways of the past and so father we put on our new self God daily Holy Spirit remind us us daily that we have that gift of your spirit God that you are changing the desires in our hearts God would would people not become faint father would they not grow weary would they not return to maybe you know there's some of us who need to like actually leave old ways like old friend groups or certain things for a season so that God can like fix those desires in us so God would that Father, would you just speak to each of us of what it is that you need us to step out, how we need to follow this new life. And God, we pray for those who are here who want to accept your new life. God, that they say, I believe, I believe in Jesus and I, and I want this new life. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. We're going to all pray together. Just repeat after me and we're going to pray with those who are, you know, accepting Christ for the first time. Jesus, thank you for your love.
for your life, for your death, and your resurrection. I believe that you are Lord. I believe you are who you say you are. And I choose to follow you. Would you come, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. Help me to live out this new life. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.